Good morning. The scripture passage for this morning is 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, and can be found on page 1021 in your Black Pew Bible. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is cause for I'm sorry, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here. If you're just uh, joining us this morning for the first time in this series, we're glad that you're here. And let me give a little bit of background so you know where we'll be today. Uh, We're preaching through the letters of John, which means we're uh, in 1 John, and we'll be in 1 John for... Uh, quite a few more weeks, and let me give a little more background before we before we move forward. The, in First John, the author the author points to evidence of people abandoning the Christian community. The evidence for this separation is clearly seen in places like First John two nineteen, where he says. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not have conti- they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. The, the people who left, they, they thought things and they taught things that were not compatible with the apostolic witness. So this is why John decries them and clarifies an accurate understanding instead in this letter. And because the author doesn't line out all the dissenters' arguments, we don't want to try to infer too much about what the book doesn't say. We don't know all the details of this difficulty. We don't know all the details of the conflict. But what we do know is that whatever was happening prompted John to write the letter, which should prompt us to pay attention. In a situation, in a situation that has experienced some form of deep relational separation, John writes these words to these people, and he writes these words to us today. 
He writes these words to a community that was recently or had recently experienced a form of relational fracture and a breaking of relationship. He gives them words of comfort and he also gives them words of correction. He gives them words for instruction and he gives them words for confidence in the faith. In a situation with confusion and differences surrounding, surrounding spiritual things, John writes this letter to connect the people that remain, to bring together the people who are still there, a letter that unites believers, a letter to strengthen their confidence in their very own fellowship with God and strengthen their commitment to the shared fellowship that they have with one another. This book offers a unique focus on Christian assurance. It answers the question, how do you know? How do you know if you know God? How do you know if you're living in the light? What text or what, what tests exist to serve to authenticate our faith as Christians? What kind of examination can authenticate our love and prove it to be consistent with the Bible and consistent Christian love? What kind of assessment of our own lives can authenticate us as genuine children of God? And John answers these kinds of questions in this text today. And, and it's a two-way street. God offers guides that will bolster our confidence today or they will expose our deceitfulness. He offers us tests that will solidify stable footing as a follower or a follower of Christ or tests that will reveal that our feet are captured in a snare. These verses offer us an understanding of what will serve to substantiate and bolster and fortify your faith or show us that our faith is imperfect, incomplete, dead, hollow, brittle, and lifeless. John's walking around with a spotlight in these verses to help us see really see, maybe for the first time, see where we might be trapped, see where we're really going, see our own sin, see what's truly down in the darkness, even the darkness that is the deception inside the human heart. There seems to be questions in this community about assurance, about eternal security. And because John wants to help us know whether or not we truly know God, he gives us several tests so that we can know so we can know. And these are not tests like school where you either get an A or a C and you have to, you have to pass this test in, so in order to move forward. This is the kind of test that tests metal, the purity, the quality of it. It tests genuineness, genuineness. He also explains what kind of impact true light shining has on our relationships. And he tells us what relationships look like in the darkness. So I'm going to walk through the text this morning in two really broad movements. The first one, the first one is three signs of Christian assurance. Three signs of Christian assurance that we've seen so far in this letter. And then the second movement is going to be one sign that the light is shining. 
One sign that the light is shining. I wanna pray for us before I move forward. Would you all bow your heads with me and pray with me and pray for me and for us as we move forward. Heavenly Father, you are light and in you is no darkness at all. pure and clean and radiant light. You're true and you're good. So we can throw ourselves down at your feet in faith, in hope, in reassurance. Only you are light. Would you be light this morning for us in our hearts? Would you awaken us? Would you shine? Would you shine brighter this morning in our lives? Shine on places that we're neglecting something that we need to address. Shine in places that we're concealing sin. Shine in places that we need comfort and to be held together. And would you do it all? Would you do it all by the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, three, three signs of Christian assurance. That's this first movement this morning. And if we borrow just a little bit from the previous weeks that we've been in this letter, we can see the way a Christian demonstrates or shows or give off, gives off his, his or her authenticity. And that is necessary belief, necessary obedience, and necessary love. Some of these will be fleshed out more later in this book, but these are three vital components to being a Christian. John has already seen duplicitous, underhanded, deceitful members of his community claim one thing when something else was true. They claimed that they had that necessary belief or necessary obedience or necessary love, but they proved that they didn't. And if they didn't now, then they never did. If they didn't have what it took now, then they didn't have what it took then. So their words and actions and attitudes have proved that they were false. They were pretend. They were, like certain other parts of the country might say, they were uh, just giving off put on or positioning themselves or posturing themselves as one thing when they were something else. So let's walk through these three signs quickly. But first, but first, let's make a commitment at the outset. And I'm asking a favor that we can all do this together. Let's walk through these three signs of Christian assurance with our own hearts in view. And I mean in contrast to everybody else's hearts in view. Can we walk through these signs of assurance with our own hearts in view instead of walking through them, using them as a standard by which we try to appraise other people? I want to give this exhortation for all of us to join in, that we focus on our own hearts first, because I know, I know that my biggest problems with other people are my problems. 
Mark Crow's biggest problems with other people are Mark Crow's problems. My lack of zeal, my own anger, my own hypocrisy, my own pride, is th- those things are what are the biggest obstacles to my fellowship with God, not your pride or your hypocrisy or your sin. This is why each of us should uh, receive the invitation from the living God today to have ourselves in view when we come to the scriptures. Trying to authenticate somebody else's faith or trying to prove that someone does or doesn't know God is not the main purpose of John's letter. Now, John himself does make that kind of an assessment, so in some way that must not be sinful or wrong in some circumstances, but I believe it wise to remember that you and I will be judged by the measure that we judge other people. And that being the case, we usually, we usually have enough hypocrisy or sin in our own lives to preoccupy us with enough work to do. And that means that the first thing I want to emphasize about these tests is that if we begin to be flippant or cavalier about applying them to other people, then we are missing the point. I want us to make a commitment to aim them at our own hearts first and ask the Spirit of God to reveal our own inconsistencies, not somebody else's inconsistencies. So I'm going to walk through three signs that John covers or he's covered so far. Necessary belief. Necessary obedience and necessary love. When talking about necessary belief, I want to talk about the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a message. It is news. It is an announcement. It is a proclamation. It is to be heralded. It is information, and it's information about what God has done about that reality, about who God is, how he sent his son to live and die and be raised from the dead. That's how John opens his letter and understanding. He wants us to, to remember, in some measure, it is necessary for you and I to know God, to remember the facts, the reality, the belief. We have to know who God is. We have to believe in Jesus. The most famous verse in the world, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And friends, these details aren't optional. They are on the table. They are essential doctrines to Christian faith, and that means they're essential to knowing God. And there's also a warning to be observed here. Each of these assurances kind of comes with its own counter warning. Belief in Jesus is belief in the biblical Jesus. Not Jesus only as a moral example, not Jesus only as a historical figure, not Jesus as a religious leader on the same footing as Confucius or Gandhi or Buddha. That's the warning this morning. We have to ask ourselves, is our faith in the Jesus of the Bible? Or is our faith in a Jesus that is a fiction? Because the Jesus of the Bible is God. He's God. He's King of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's the King of all creation. And he reigns right now. It's necessary to believe in Jesus, to trust him, to believe what he says, and to believe the truth of the gospel, the message that John speaks of from the beginning, that became the message that became manifest, that he heard and saw and touched, is Jesus Christ, God incarnate. 
And the reason I'm highlighting something so basic to our faith is that there are and there will be smart people always, smarter than me, smarter than, than you, scholars and teachers in the world who know way more about the Bible and way more about Jesus than many Christians do, but they themselves don't believe him. They don't believe in him. They've heard all about him. They've heard what he said, but they don't want to listen to him. They've looked all throughout the Bible, and yet they still don't see him. That's why this warning is real today. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't believe in him, believe what he says, including what he says about himself, then that's where you should start today. Start with Christ. Take him for who he is. And this fits directly into the next test, which is necessary obedience. You see, if you believe Jesus, if you believe God, then when he tells you things, you'll trust what he says. That's why John can say in a simple way, verse three, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. In verse four, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth isn't in him. And then again, in in verse five, the first half of verse five, it says, but whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. So John's case is a claim that true knowledge of God results in true obedience to God. In chapter two, verse two, John has just referenced Jesus. So I believe that the him in verse three is speaking of Jesus. It could be the father, but we also know from John's other writings that he sees Jesus and the father and the spirit all come in one package. So I believe this is a reference to Christ and the, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a story about what you did so that God would save you. The gospel of the kingdom is not a story about what you did so that God would take you and put you into his kingdom. The gospel of God is not information about what you have done to compel or convince or twist God's arm to act in your favor. The gospel is about what God has done. The gospel is the story about what God was up to while we were hating him. The gospel is a story of God's love for us while we did not love him. The gospel is the story of God and God's idea to rescue a people that didn't want to be rescued. And this he does out of his own sheer and sovereign grace. You and I didn't earn anything. You didn't deserve to be rescued. Your salvation does not work like a paycheck that you are owed at the end of a day. It works like a debt that you could never pay and someone else shows up and pays the debt and takes your debt and wipes it out forever. As far as the East is from the West, it's gone. Now, if you didn't do anything to convince God to save you, then we should ask, why is it that, we, that what we do is evidence that he has saved us? How's that work? If your works didn't save you, then how do works prove that you have been saved? And this is the, the moral test of assurance. 
And, and by that, what I mean is John believes and John is teaching that if you do what Jesus says, then that should help you know that you know God. Whoever goes around saying that they know God, but they don't do what Jesus said is lying and they actually don't know God. Remember, we point inward first. We're committed to aiming this test at our own hearts and that's where the warning comes. There's this mirror warning to this assurance where we ask the question of ourselves, are, are we obeying Jesus, do our lives display that we want to do what Jesus said? Or do we even care? <clears throat> but before I continue, let me say, let me just say plainly, like when we trust something, when human beings believe something, actions are always connected. This isn't new, this isn't novel right? You believe certain things and those beliefs, whether you have them as conscious or unconscious, those beliefs guide your actions. For instance, we all believe things before we spend our money, right? Or we all believe things before we fill up our time or keep our days completely empty. Some of us fill up our time because we want to steward it well. Some of us fill up our time because we want to impress other people and look busy and look like we accomplish a lot. Some of us keep our days empty because we needed rest. Some of us keep our days empty because we want to be lazy. Whatever, whatever's happening in your life is chained, is connected to whatever kind of beliefs you already hold. We all believe things before we spend our money or fill our time or discipline our kids. Some of us believe certain doctors, right? Certain dietitians, certain Instagram moms. And then we behave, then we behave like we believe them. Like we believe them. We behave as if we believe them. And, and the key is, is that we do it because we want to. Not because we have to. Nobody is whipping us into submission. We do it because we're convinced and we're convinced in one direction or another. Actions always authenticate beliefs. It isn't rocket science. What you do or don't do authenticates what you believe. What you do demonstrates what in your life convinces you. It demonstrates what in your life persuades you you. It demonstrates what influences you. At the end of the day, what you do or don't do demonstrates what wins you. What wins your allegiance? What wins your heart? And if you believe Jesus, if you're won by him, then you believe him. You believe him. You do what he said. Because what else would you do? Now, this is not perfection. This is not moralism. This is not getting brownie points with God. If you obey Jesus' commands, that doesn't mean he owes you anything. And John has just said that if you sin, if you sin, so that means you, you don't obey his command in that instance. If you sin, hey, there's a solution. There's a solution. But what's true about this text is that our lives can't be characterized by disobedience and be Christian at the same time. You can't live a life that's characterized by disobedience to Jesus and then claim to know him. You'd be a liar if you said that. Now, every believer in this room, in many cases, will violate his commands, will fail to obey him. 
at different times in their lives. But the picture of a Christian is the picture of a person who's been convinced and believes Jesus and trusts that his commands are good for us. They're good for us. And then they know that because they love God and God loves them and they know it, that's how this functions in the believer's heart. John 14, 21 says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me. If we abide in the love of Christ, we do what he commanded. And this leads to the third test for our assurance. And the test is love. It's love. How can we know that we know God? There is necessary love at play. Some commentators say this is the ethical test of assurance. In 1 John 2, 5 and 6, it says, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly, in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. You see, there's there's this necessary connection. There's a necessary connection between knowing God and keeping his commands. And there's a necessary connection between loving, loving God and keeping his commands. It couldn't be more plain. So if if you're struggling this morning with assurance, ask yourself, do you believe Jesus? Do you believe what he says? Is he your only hope in this life and the next? Do you place all of your faith in him alone to pay for your sins, to forgive you for your sins, and make you right before God and put you in right relationship with God? If so, this text says you know him. If you're in the room this morning and you struggle to experience confidence in your salvation, do you love God? And that means more than merely emotion. Do you desire to do what he says and believe what he says? And do you experience remorse or personal conviction when you go outside of what he says and you violate his commands? Does your sin break your heart because you don't want to see the glory of God vandalized? You don't want to see the glory of God insulted by our sin. Does it, does it tear you up when you sin because you love God and delight to do what he says? And if that's you this morning, I hope you hear from me, but more than from me, in your heart, from the spirit of God, I hope you hear him testifying to your spirit that you belong to him, that you're his and he loves you from everlasting. When Jesus saw his followers desert him, he looked at his own disciples and said, are you, are you going to go too? Are you out? Are you going to desert me also? Do you in that moment resonate with his disciple that said, where else are we going to go? You alone hold the words of life. If that's you, John wants you to know that you know him. There's this love that true believers possess that that comes out, that spills out of us into obedience. That's how love is perfected. That's how love is perfected, in obedience. It's just like where James says in his letter in chapter two that faith is perfected by works. That means means, uh, faith is completed by works. Faith and works aren't opposed to each other. One's the beginning and one's the outflow. They're connected. 
So if we believe God loves us, then his commands aren't holding us back from anything. They're not keeping us from what we really want to do. If you know him, then you know he doesn't get a kick out of giving us a bunch of hoops to jump through or a bunch of rules to follow. He delights to know us and delight in us and protect us and lead us in what's good for us. And these commands aren't only these like specific commands of Jesus. These are all the commands of God. It's living a life that's characterized by a desire and a longing and a trust and a belief that God's word to us is good for us because we know that God is love. So all of his commands to us and instructions to us are loving, are loving. Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. And sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned and, warned, and in keeping them there's great reward. And that's, that's the third kind of test of assurance is that you love God and you love him in this way, you follow his words. You treasure his words, just like the psalmist says. But there's more to this test because John says a strange sounding phrase, right? When he says in, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Isn't the love of God already perfect? The answer is yes, but it's perfected in us when it spills, when it flows, when it moves forward to other people. What the author is saying is that the love that authenticates your relationship with God is necessarily a love that spills into your relationships with other people. One author asks rightly when he says this, does John believe a right love for God is absolutely essential for for a right love toward our brothers? And I believe the answer is a resounding yes. Indeed, the two are inseparable. This is the shift that John takes from interpersonal knowledge and love and belief in God between you and God and obedience to God. Love for God in a vertical reality. And now he makes it horizontal. He puts it on the ground and he says, God loves you in ways that you can't even imagine. And what completes it, what perfects it is when it comes in and spills out and spills out to the community. And this brings me to my second kind of broad movement this morning. The sign that darkness is passing away. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, verse seven says, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And at the same time, it is the new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him, and true in you because, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is, in, he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So this is how you can know that you know God. 
You, you give intellectual agreement to the gospel. You believe it's true and presented by God himself in the word. And then because you know it's true, you're fully convinced of that reality. You believe like it's true and you behave like you believe that. Like you believe God. You believe that he is love and that you love him because of who he is and all the divine love that he showed you first before you ever loved him. And it doesn't stop there. We know that because John gives us this explicit test of love. Love for God that obeys his command, specifically his command to love other people, to love brothers and sisters. There are commands from God. There are certain commands from God that we can try to cheat on. There are some rules that even in Jesus's day that you could try to fake or posture and try to convince other people that you love God by doing them. The Pharisees were pros at doing this. They were professional pretenders. They kept all the rules, but they kept them for the sake of appearances instead of doing what God said because they loved him. Excuse me. And some of us are in that camp today. Some of us are right there. We obey for the sake of approval or for the sake of trying to impress other people or for the sake of trying to impress God himself. But that's not the kind of obedience that authenticates love for God. And this is why John brings up this old, new commandment. Like, what's he talking about right there? It's kind of confusing the way he words it. He says, I'm talking about an old commandment, but it's also a new commandment and old at the same time. This is the love command from Jesus in John 13, 34, where Jesus says explicitly, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, one of God's central commands from the Old Testament was Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, where he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your might. And then also you can think of Leviticus nineteen eighteen, which says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall... Love your neighbor as yourself. And then in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, there's this Pharisee attorney who comes up to Jesus and he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So John is putting this together for his readers and for us today. We should see that love of God means you'll keep his commandments. And keeping his commandments means you'll love other people, especially believers in this space. If you see fruit, if you see the fruit of that in your life, that is cause for assurance. And John's not bluffing. This is a real test. It's not just fluff. 
And we know that clearly because John follows it up with a pretty sober warning when he says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he is because the darkness has blinded him, blinded his eyes. So if we walk in the light, we'll love fellow believers. And that love is grounding for Christian assurance. So do you love your fellowship with other believers? Do you love other people? That's grounds for your confidence that you know God. And if you find yourself here this morning and you know that you hate your brother, that's darkness. It's darkness. And that darkness has you unable to see anything. It's blinded you. And the invitation is turn away from the darkness and turn to the light. Repent and be, and be forgiven. Confess your sins. And he's faithful and just to cleanse you and forgive you. If you hate your brother, that's a scary place to be. So turn and be reconciled now while you feel the sting of conviction. That sting is God's gentle kindness to you to, to give you freedom instead of living in that weighty bondage. And this is where it gets really fun this morning, in my opinion. If you're in the room this morning and you have a love for your brothers, that's not only... That is not only an example of you walking in the light, it's also evidence that the light is here right now. And it's pushing back darkness. And that's why my concluding kind of movement is just one sign that the light is shining. So verse eight says, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because, because the darkness is passing away and the true light isn't coming, the true light is already shining. When this verse says true in him and in you, it's, it means genuine. It means real. It means what's in you is authentic. John's saying that this love command is genuine in Jesus, genuine in you, because that love means Jesus is shining. That's what's happening. The fact that this little church right here exists at all is evidence that the light is shining. When you experience conviction of sin, and you repent and you trust in the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf, that's because the light is already shining. When you're cut to your heart after gossiping about somebody, that's evidence that the light is already shining. When you call up a friend or write the hard letter or send the reconciliation email, that's evidence that the light is already shining. When you humble yourself and let it go or swallow your pride and you do it for the sake of love, for the sake of preserving and protecting Christian harmony, that's evidence that the light is already shining. When you love the brothers and sisters in this place with commitment and conviction, that is not only assurance for you. It is also proof that the light is already shining now, here, right now. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Still, the darkness can't overcome the light. That's the deal. Your courage to ask for forgiveness when you have hurt somebody is proof that the light is shining. It's confirmation that the darkness can't overcome the light. Our genuine yet feeble efforts to love our families and honor God is proof that darkness can't overcome the light. Your genuine yet weak faith to believe the promises of God today aren't weak at all. And not because you're strong, but because Jesus is strong and darkness can't overcome him. We are too weak to battle this darkness, but he isn't. Brotherly love confirms, verifies, documents, attests to all day long that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness is doomed. Doomed. Something is small. I want this to encourage us today. I want this to encourage us today. Something is tiny and seemingly insignificant as your conviction because you know you haven't loved your family well or, or you know that you've failed or sinned against somebody that you love is evidence that the light of Christ is shining here in this community. Your conviction that your heart has been cold or selfish or self-absorbed and you want God to change you, your longing to be transformed, that conviction doesn't only prove that you love God, it also proves to all of us that the true light is in you and it shines. It shines. The light of the gospel, the glory of Christ is shining now. And friends, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face, in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the light that's flowing in this place, in this Christian community. That's the light that we have here now. Not only your personal assurance, not only that, but also our corporate kind of confidence that Christ is here and Christ is Lord. He reigns, he shines, he won't be defeated. Christian fellowship, Christian koinonia is evidence that the powers of darkness are passing away. I had a teacher once who told me that, the nuclear that there are nuclear launch codes for the Christian life in the book of Romans. And, and what this person meant was, Romans 12 says, quote, let love be genuine. Abhor what's evil. Hold fast to what's good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what it means to let love be genuine. The love that God has shown us and poured into our hearts, to let it be genuine or complete or full or perfect is when it makes its way out and forward and sideways to other people in our lives. That's how the darkness is passing away. That is how the darkness is passing away. That's how you follow this old but new, but, but not new commandment to love your brothers and sisters because, because family, that's how the love of God is perfected. That's how the love of God in you is made complete. And all of this, all of this, not because of us, not because of what we have done, but because of Christ. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You see, the true light has come and nothing will extinguish it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you fill us with courage this morning? Would you fill us with faith this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit? Oh, courage to love. Maybe there's risks going on in this room right now that are on people's minds that they know trying to cross a, a relational gap is taking a risk and it might hurt and you might scrape a knee or you might offend somebody. God, would you, be, would you make us the kind of people that live on courage that comes from you and not like um, security about what outcomes are? We're not guaranteed any kind of specific outcome. We want to be obedient because we want to know you. We want to live in the light where fellowship and joy are. So would you fill us with faith? Would you increase our faith? Would you make us sturdy? Would you help us not be embarrassed about being weak, but embrace our weakness so that you get all the credit for being strong? We trust you. Would you move in our hearts and lives again and again and again and again and do it this morning, I ask, through the power of your spirit because we cannot do it. And in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.